I want to open today with the, the passage that we've actually already read. And I want to read it again out of the New King James Version, because I like the wording of it. It's very Christmassy. But it's found in Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock at night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, an an and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Peace. Goodwill toward men. This week, we were talking about how we lit the, the Advent candle of peace. And here in this story, this story of the first Christmas, we have the angels showing up in this chorus of angels crying out, glory to God in the highest and on earth, here on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. It's interesting to think of peace, especially for this first Christmas, because just reading some of the details of that story, it was anything but peaceful. When you look at kind of what's happening uh, politically on the global kind of stage at this point, the story opens up with Caesar Augustus is in charge. Now, I'm, I'm a really big history nerd. I listen to history podcasts. It drives my wife crazy. And uh, I love kind of like Western Civ. And so when I hear Caesar Augustus, I get excited. Anyone else get excited? Right. And what's going on in the world right now, when Jesus is born into this world, is that you know, Julius Caesar has turned the Roman Republic into an empire. He's conquered, like the, he basically turned the Mediterranean into a Roman lake. And at some point, Julius Caesar gets assassinated. He gets too powerful, and those turn on him. You have that famous phrase, e tu brute, where his best friend betrays him. And then his nephew, this man named Octavian, takes over the empire. And Octavian leads kind of uh, the remnants of Julius Caesar's armies. And this great civil war breaks out in the Roman Empire. And Octavian emerges victorious. And it was this terrible, bloody civil war. Octavian becomes emperor, takes on the title uh, Caesar Augustus. And it's a time of, of great turmoil, great violence, uh, lots of people dying, lots of rebellions popping up. It's a very dangerous time to live 
But after the Civil War, Julius Caesar, or Caesar Augustus ushers in something that's called the Pax Romana, or the Pax Augusta, which is basically the peace of Rome. And this place where Jesus is born is this, is this area of the Roman Empire that's been conquered. It's been set up as a client state of the Romans, which means there's this foreign oppressor that is kind of in charge, and they have their armies on the ground. And if you're human, you don't like to be conquered. You don't like to have a foreign army in your land telling you what to do, where to pay taxes, in charge. So it's a very kind of violent, volatile situation, the global stage. Jesus is born into this. But then you look at just kind of on the personal level how chaotic and anxious this story is. We have Joseph and Mary. We pick up details of, of kind of their life from all the Gospels, but we find that they're betrothed to be married, which means they're engaged. They're not married yet. Mary's found to be with child. You can imagine just kind of what socially that would, would be in that community, these, uh, these, these uh, traditional conservative little Jewish family. This girl gets pregnant, and everyone's like, oh, no, you're not married yet. She goes, oh, no, it's fine. It's not Joseph's. What? Oh, no. Like, I mean, imagine like, her trying to describe the situation, the anxiety that it would bring you know, at the holiday party that year. I, I can't imagine her interacting with her, her aunts, interacting with other, other people in the community. You can imagine what Mary's going through. And, and, and tradition also tells us that Mary's not, it's not like she's just like a, an older, mature woman. She's young. Most scholars say she's probably a teenager dealing with the weight of the world now, trying to describe, well, I, yeah, I had a dream. and I mean, how do you even start to explain the situation? And then on top of all of that, they're told uh, by Caesar to go to their hometown for a census to be taken, to be accounted for, which means probably more taxes coming, right? And, and so they travel, and they travel it's not like they could hop on the train or, or hop in a car or a plane. We know they, they walk, and she rides on a donkey. We have a lot of pregnant women in the church right now. Uh, I, I would love to try to do some sort of experiment, get, them one, get one of them on you know, a donkey, see how that goes. I uh, don't think that would be wise. My wife's out sick today, so I might make jokes like that and not get in trouble. But, uh, but Mary rides on a donkey. You can't imagine, like, just the chaos of what that would feel like. And then they get to Bethlehem, and there's no place for them to stay. And the baby's coming. I can't imagine, I mean, who knows, you know, maybe Mary's winging it. But my guess is she's probably a planner, right? Like, how do you, you go into a situation like that where you have to give birth? There's unbelievable chaos happening. The, the world that Jesus is born into is just aching for peace, it's aching for, for, for God to intervene. And when I think about the chaos of my Christmas, and it is chaotic, I have a big family, but I think, man, i got to go to like seven houses in three days. That's stressing me out. I mean, we got to eat like at every house too. And then I've got four children, because my wife is Fertile Myrtle, and we keep having more, and <laughs> trying to figure out how to like, get gifts for all these babies, and... And, like, that's my stress. I, I can't imagine this first century world that Jesus is born into, the chaos that is here. It's this world that is crying out for peace, crying out for something to just be normal. These angels show up and they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill 
toward men. On the earth, peace. Peace, to do a word study on it, it's this Greek word, irene. This is different than the Hebrew word shalom, but it means, uh, it's interesting, it comes from uh, a primary verb, which means to join, to join something. Peace by implication, prosperity, quietness, rest, to be made whole again. This idea of peace that comes with the Christ child, to be made whole again, to be rejoined together. The Moody Bible Institute uh, found uh, some statistics that were interesting in the personal journal. It reported these incredible statistics that since the beginning of recorded history, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time. Read that again. Since the beginning of recorded history, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time. In its study, the periodic, periodical discovered that 3,530 years of recorded history, only 286 years have seen peace. Moreover, an excess of 8,000 peace treaties were made and broken. We live in a world of constant conflict. We live in a world of constant turmoil where humanity just doesn't get along. We live in a world that aches for peace. For peace. I love how John Piper defined this idea of irony, peace. He says, uh, and by peace I mean not only the absence of conflict and animosity, but also the presence of joyful tranquility and as much richness of interpersonal communication as you are capable of. This kind of peace that's understood that comes into the world with Jesus isn't just the absence of conflict, which in itself would be good enough, right? But the kind of peace that comes at Christmas is peace that allows humans to flourish, allows humans to have a joyful tranquility, to live life in harmony together. This is the kind of peace that is anticipated with the coming of the Messiah. This Christmas peace, I think, has three kinds of relationships that we, that we need, that we enter into. Uh, this kind of peace, for those of us who uh, follow Jesus, what we find is that there's peace with God. There's peace with God. There's peace with self, and there's peace with each other. And I want to suggest that those kind of play off each other. The first is the peace with God. The peace with God. Five times in the New Testament, he's called the God of peace. The God of peace. He's not a God of disorder or chaos. He's a God of peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you in John chapter 14. And Paul said, Jesus himself is our peace in Ephesians chapter 2. There's this idea that with God comes peace. We are called to live life in peace with God. If you uh, hop on Twitter, um, all you have to do is uh, scroll through a timeline and realize the world's not at peace. The world's not as it should be. The world that we live in is in quite chaotic disorder. And those who wrote the scriptures, who were inspired by God, were able to start to identify something called the human condition. The way that we live life with each other. Something's gone wrong. Something's been broken. We read through 
the scripture stories and we find early in Genesis that humanity is created in the image of God and created to be good. Essentially, to be human means to be created in the image of God. We bear the image of God here on this earth. Then why is life so chaotic, crazy, broken? We find is that these humans find fulfillment in things outside of God. These humans are led astray. In Genesis chapter 3, we call it the fall of humanity. And for those of us who are honest, who are in touch with the reality of this world, it's not hard to say there's great sin, brokenness in this world. We feel it every single day. We see it on the news. We feel it on Monday mornings, right? We experience this brokenness. And yet in the midst of this story of the broken world, we have this God who loves us and wants us to be made whole. This God who pursues us. And if we want to find a narrative of what God is like throughout Scripture, there's a lot of different ways to describe God, but one is that he pursues humans. The story of the first Christmas is him intervening in this world by sending Jesus into it. God is a God who pursues us. A God that desires peace with us. And at some point, all of us come to this time in our life where we have to decide, do I make peace with God? Do I make peace with him? I think we have all sorts of kind of baggage that we bring to our understanding of God. Some of us see God as a, um, a judge that's out to get us. Some of us might see him as oppressive. Some of us might see him as a crutch. Some of us might not see him at all. We have all sorts of ways that we view God in life. Some have had good experiences with him. I don't know where you're at in your understanding of who God is. But what we learn about this Christmas story is that this God that pursues us intervenes into this world in such a way that it's so compelling and inviting. He comes in the form of a child. God could have come anyway into this world to reveal what he is like to us. But he comes as a baby this first Christmas. Last year, my wife and I had a child, Lila Claire. She's about a year old now. And uh, our life has been, every single time it's like you have a baby, your life just changes radically. Huge adjustments. First of all, you don't sleep. Second, it changes how you travel. Third, you don't sleep even more, right? It, it changes everything. I love the Gaffigan joke where it's, what is it like to have four children? Pretend like you're drowning and someone handles you a baby. Like, that's very much what our life feels like. What I've realized about our child, Lila, our baby, is that she's like one of the most powerful forces on earth. Most powerful forces on earth. Babies are. Because... It's interesting how helpless the, the, the baby is, how vulnerable the baby is, how completely dependent upon us that baby is, and yet there's this great power that the baby has over us that we are compelled to care for it. We are compelled to take care of it, to love it. We are compelled to adjust everything in our life around it. But this big adjustment in our life comes not because the baby makes us do it. The big adjustment comes out of this act of love. 
that adjusts everything in our life. And it's so interesting to me that when God comes into this world to pursue the humans that are broken, he comes in the form of a baby. Vulnerable, dependent, and yet at the same time inviting and compelling you to adjust your life to love. Making peace with God. I love what the Apostle Paul says that. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This comes from faith. We put our faith in this God who approaches us in this gentle way. There we have peace. When it comes to peace with God, I would say, if we want peace to rule in our lives, then God must rule in our lives. If we want peace to rule in our lives, then God must rule in our lives. And we come to this place of faith. We give our lives and our hearts to God. Give our hearts to God. The second piece is this peace with self. This peace with self. And I feel like this peace with self happens when we're able to orient our lives around God. Philippians 4, 6 talks about anxiety. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is a beautiful passage on peace. But something is revealed here, this idea that our hearts and minds are under assault. If we live in this broken world, there's something competing for our hearts and minds. There's something lying to us, lying to our hearts and minds about our self-worth. There's something trying to corrupt our hearts and minds. And here it talks about this idea of our hearts and minds finding peace in Christ. Do nothing Do not be anxious about anything. And the peace that it describes here is interesting because it's a peace that transcends understanding. I think this is a unique characteristic of a follower of Jesus. There's a peace, an inner peace that comes when we're at peace with God, that we have peace with ourself. And I don't even know how to describe it. It transcends understanding. And yet it guards our hearts. The social critic Albert Camus talks about how we live in this age of overt anxiety. And I know that I feel that all the time. And he talks about the things that cause anxiety with people, past failures, unfulfilled expectations, declining relationships, financial problems, career boredom, sexual frustration, and flabby thighs. We are bombarded by messages. We're bombarded by oppression challenges every single day. We live lives of great anxiety. We're not okay with who we are. We're not okay. We're not at peace with ourself. And God came to bring peace with us. We have peace with God, but there's a ramification. It changes how we live life. That peace is not only just between us and God. But those who have peace with God have peace with self as well. There's this fruit that comes from relationship with God. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. A life of inner peace. Inner peace. 
I love uh, what Isaiah says about this. Uh, talks about this idea of how we have peace. When we have peace with God, we have inner peace. And he, he says this. I, I like the, the King James Version. There's a phrase here that just jumps out at me. It says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. That's a great line. Whose mind is stayed on thee. Inner peace comes when our mind is stayed on God, on Christ. When our focus is on him. So peace rules in our life when God rules in our life. And inner peace comes when our mind is focused on thee. I find this in my life time and time again. When I consider my anxiety, when I consider everything uh, that's plaguing me, it's the times that I return to God in prayer that peace comes back into my life. There's this inner peace that comes with the Messiah. Another name for, for Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. And the fruit of that spirit is peace. And the third relationship is peace with others. Peace with others. I like to get the first two right and not worry about the third one. Peace with others, that's more challenging. And I would say that peace with others is something I think that comes, comes truly and fulfilling in ways when there's peace with God and peace with self. Peace with others is a, is a byproduct of that relationship with God. And I think it works in a couple ways. One is I think that when we are at peace with God and peace with ourself, we naturally live healthy lives which allow us to live in harmony with other people. But that doesn't mean other people live in harmony with us. And I think what I've found is that when we're at peace with God and we're at peace with self, we're able to handle, we're able to handle when other people aren't living at peace with us with a better perspective. It's almost like we work as shock absorbers in this world. We're able to handle when other people do things that are wrong to us with a different type of perspective. Not only does it empower us in a healthy way to live in harmony, but it allows us to absorb some of the other dysfunction that's going on around us. This fruit of the Spirit is peace that comes from living life with God, with finding this inner peace in ourself. It flows out of us to other people. allows us to live in harmony with those around us. And I think our world needs this. I think that those who follow Jesus that are a part of these communities called churches live life very differently because we are people of harmony and peace. Psalm 34, 14 says, Turn from evil, do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Turn from evil, do good. Seek peace and pursue it. There's a story of a pastor that lived back in the 1840s. And the pastor had a mental breakdown. Happens to pastors. Has this mental breakdown, tries to kind of like restart life, start life over. And it says for the next seven years, he was depressed. They called it melancholy back then. Just lived with this darkness. And much of that was rooted in him observing the world around him. 
this pastor would talk about, like, I get up every year and preach about Christmas and I preach, preach about this idea of peace and everyone wants peace on earth, but no one truly lives it. There's this disconnection between what we read in the scriptures and what we hope for and then how we're all living our life. And he pointed to what was happening over in Europe with these different revolutions. He pointed to what America was just coming out of with the American-Mexican War. And he pointed to this inevitable conflict that was coming in the U.S. That they were spiraling towards the Civil War. He knew that this Tension was getting more and more heightened, and at some point it was just going to pop. He says, when I look around the world, all I see is chaos. I don't see peace. And he was teaching the Sunday school class in this small church, and he decided to write a Christmas poem for his Sunday school class. And he writes a, a stanza for it, and he just keeps writing. And I want to close today just reading this poem that this guy writes. He says this, his name is Edmund Sears, and he writes, It came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth, to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men, from the heavens, all gracious king, the world in solemn stillness lay, to hear the angels sing. Still through the cloven skies they come, with peaceful wings unfurled. And still their heavenly music floats over all the weary world. And above its sad and lowly plains, they bend on hovering wing. And ever over its babble sounds, the blessed angels sing. Yet with the woes of sin and strife, the world has suffered long. Beneath the angel... Strain have rolled 2,000 years of wrong. And man at war with man hears not the love song which they bring. Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, look now for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Oh, rest beside the weary road. And hear the angels sing. For lo, the days of, are hastening on by prophets, bards foretold. When with the ever-circling years comes round the age of gold. When peace shall over all the earth in ancient splendors fling. And the whole world give back the song which now the angels sing. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. The Christ child comes the Messiah, God with us, not in a way that overrides our will, but in a way that invites us into a life of wholeness, a life eternal, a life of salvation. The invitation of Christmas is this invitation of peace that is eternal, not just a lack of conflict, but peace that allows us to flourish in harmony, a life that starts now, that lives on through eternity. Today, Tim's going to come back up and we're going to spend some time in prayer. And I want to do something, before we move to communion, I want, to, I want to do a prayer with you. Sometimes we do this, sometimes it feels old-fashioned. But today I would like everyone to just bow their heads and close their eyes. And uh, I want to spend some time just praying. 
And today, if you're living life where you feel like you don't have peace with God, you feel like that just feels like an empty relationship or that feels like a relationship full of uh, grief, that feels like a relationship full of anger, you don't feel like you're at peace with God, today we want to invite you to open your heart to live at peace with God. And with all heads bowed and eyes closed today, if you feel like your life is not at peace with God, if you would just look up at me, um, I'd like to pray for you. Maybe, maybe today you're not at peace with yourself. that inner turmoil, internal conflict. Today I'd love to pray. If you just look up if you want prayer for peace. Today, if you uh, have peace with others, maybe it's a specific person, maybe it's group of people, someone in your family, someone at work, that you need to just experience peace with. I want to look up and love to pray for you. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your peace. We long for it. Lord, we live in a world that is just full of turmoil. Lord, we know that you understand our circumstances. You see our every situation. You know our hearts. Today, I pray that you meet us in this moment. Lord, that you bring about the peace that passes understanding. Lord, that this Christmas our lives would be changed because of the peace that you offer. It's fruit of your spirit. Lord, I ask your blessing on those now who've raised their eyes, that you would meet them, that you would work about shalom. We ask your blessing on your people. We're going to move to communion now, if you feel ready, as we close with this last song. Communion is a representation of this story, of this God who intervenes in our world, the incarnation, who brings peace. We take a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ, and we do this in remembrance of what God did for us on the cross. We take the juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed that covers all of our brokenness. We believe that by his blood, we receive peace. And today, when you feel ready, move to the communion table. And as you move, <coughs> open up your heart and invite God to bring about the peace that passes understanding. Let's move to communion.